ESPN Plus broadcasting from just next to City Center in Doha, Qatar, where just moments ago we saw the end of Mexico and Argentina in Group C action. Argentina hanging another dos a cero on L3. The game-winning goal. Surprise, surprise from Lionel Messi. Why don't you tell everybody what it was like to watch me suffer since you're just so happy about it? I'm not happy. I'm not happy that Mexico lost, obviously. Uh, only one goal for CONCACAF teams in six games. So mm. That's not a good stat. I thought Mexico would uh, be one of those leaders in that category. It was something. <laughs> based, based on we will what? Get, we will get to it. We will okay. get to okay. it. Okay. Um, yep. It was something else. It always is something else watching a game with you. I don't think the rest of our colleagues knew what they were in store for. There was a couple pens being thrown. I'm just glad nobody was hurt. Yes. Uh, yeah. No, it was, it was a, a very tense atmosphere just to kind of take you behind the curtain here at the ESPN setup. We have our studio here. Literally, I mean, a cardboard, some type of makeshift wall separates us from ESPN Argentina. On the other side, there's a very uh, different mood on that set. Right below them is ESPN Mexico. They're broadcasting right now Fútbol Picante. All of us are kind of in this area watching the game together. There's also TVs that are on different delays, so we would hear goals and shouts and screams. You heard, oh. you heard one or two shell of uh, your mother's that was uh, an <laughs> indication that something had happened. The second half. Let's start from the Mexico side. What do you make of El Tri's performance in this game? The performance? Yeah. It's a little bit more nuanced, right? We can discuss the result. The result's a disaster. Uh, the result. You, know, you don't want to lose, and you don't want to lose by two. It's a bad because result we, yes. because goal differential comes into play. You goal difference is the only way through for Mexico Correct. now. You don't want to lose by multiple goals, which ended up being that scenario. The performance in general, if there was one thing we'd been telling our colleagues here um, when they asked... How would Mexico play right. against Argentina? And, and a lot of my colleagues, you included, were saying and they were adamant that Mexico would not betray its DNA. They would not sit back. They would not give Argentina the ball. They have to have the ball to feel mm -hmm. good. Even if they lose, mueren de pie. That was kind of the, the notion around here. That wasn't the case. They conceded the ball. They went to a line of three center backs, five, so it's three, five, two, and you tried to absorb. And, and for, honestly, the first 45 minutes, mm -hmm. decent. You're like, okay, they're really disrupting Argentina's rhythm here. Might I say really good? I mean, did Memo have to make a big stop? Was no, there a particularly no, no. dangerous moment in that first a half? And you, No, there wasn't. And you would have honestly have bet that the best chance came from Mexico. There was a set piece, mm -hmm. Luis Chavez, uh, that I believe Montes almost got on the end on, that ended up bouncing across the face of the goal. And you were like, okay, I could see this going one of two ways. Argentina getting desperate, Argentina getting frustrated, they need a result, uh, maybe pressing forward, and... and Picking them apart on the counter, even though that's not the Mexico way. No. Chucky and especially Alexis Vega. Anytime there was open space, you just felt Alexis Vega had that opportunity or had that ability to break out. That wasn't the case. Second half comes about, you concede possession to them again. But now this time, possession isn't in the midfield or around their uh, own defensive third. It's in your defensive mm. third. It's in their offensive end. It's really in front of you, and that's when they started coming apart. That's when the nerves, that's when the not being able to play a certain way because you've never played that way, yeah. the being unfamiliar with the setup came into play, and, and, and we'll get into it, but the not having Edson Alvarez on the yeah. field for me, uh, it showed how crucial it was in both goals. 
So I'm thinking about it from the first half, because obviously the second half is where the goals fall. The game kind of totally changes uh, at that point. But at halftime, I won't sit here and say I felt good about Mexico's performance, because the bottom line question with this team in this game, uh, as it was against Poland, is who in the heck is going to score? Beyond score, it's not a team that's missing chances. It's a team that's not creating chances. Now, maybe they weren't set up to create a lot of chances in this game, but there's you watch this Mexico team, and there's... Very little hope outside of a set piece, which to think of that as Mexico's best chance tells you all you need to know about this L3, that they're going to score. So then you're looking at it and you're saying, okay, as we've said before, there's a saying, would firma, firmas un empate, would you sign for a tie right now? And at halftime, you're looking at it 0-0, and I'm feeling very good about Mexico's defensive performance, not just in that they had limited Argentina in the final third from really getting that great chance to make Memo have to make that great save or, or even a desperate defensive challenge. They were making Argentina look bad, or maybe Argentina was making themselves look bad. There was a lot of pressure on the ball, and that pressure from Mexico was resulting in turnovers. My, my big problem, and again, it's, it's to the point that I started with, even when there was a turnover, and even when that turnover was in a dangerous spot in the field, the strategy, the setup was such that it was Alexis Vegas trips it off a guy, immediately he's one on three, and maybe Chucky's 30 yards away, and it's really like two on five. Chucky. That is hopeless. Chucky. That is hopeless. And that's all. every time Mexico had a, a split second of danger, as soon as they took the wide shot, you immediately knew nothing's going to yeah. happen here. There's nobody in the attack. Yeah. And just let me finish that off because, you know, it's only the two guys up front. Mexico plays in the 5-3-2. We'll discuss that, that choice, that formation in a second. But the three guys in midfield... To start this game, Andres Guardado, Hector Herrera, and Luis Chavez. Who, who of those guys is honestly going to be the late arriver or the guy to help that attack? It ain't going to be Achiache making a 40-yard nope. run. It ain't going to be Guardado making nope. a 40-yard run. So you're cutting out one guy out of those three Luis to join Chavez. an attack that's still only two guys. So even if Chavez comes, man, even if he gets there, it's three on five, it's three on six. And you can say whatever you want about the Argentine defense and how it stacks up against other Argentina defenses of the past. But those five, six guys against Chucky, against Alexis, and against a late arriving, maybe, Luis Chavez, that's a horrible mismatch, and that is never, ever, ever going to end up in a goal for Mexico. And not even going to end up in a threat. And that's what we saw in the first half. Uh, you saw that throughout the game, actually. You, you saw it because, because I don't Chiquito think there was Sano. as many turnovers from Argentina in the second half oh, as there was no, the first. No, no, I think no, they no turnovers. I'm yeah. talking about the Mexico attackers uh, yeah. being surrounded by the Argentine defenders. Mm -hmm. I think Chucky Lozano had one in the second half where you really looked over. He tried getting the corner out of it. Yes. He looked over and he was with, he was by himself yes. against five players. Yes. Uh, like he didn't even have an option to hopefully cross it into the box too. So there's a saying. There's a saying. Mm -hmm. Plantamiento cobarde. Yes. A uh, cowardly formation or setup. Yes. It's a cowardly setup. Mm -hmm. That's what Tata Martino did today. He played not to lose. And it blew up in his face. Now, okay. Okay. Is playing not to lose cowardly or me? smart? Because le and let me t let me tell you well, where you, the you nuance is. You should here. answer that question well, for me because uh, you were telling, and all my Mexican colleagues were telling anybody who would listen uh -huh. that that goes against Mexico's DNA. Okay. Right. Let's talk about Mexico's DNA. Okay. Jugar como nunca, perder como siempre. Nope. Play like you never have before in terms of play really, really well, but lose like you always do before. And what that really means is that when you play big teams, you, you rise to the occasion, but you lose. You lose heroically because you go al tu por tu. No, you go, right. you go toe to toe. You don't do what a lot of underdogs do, which is sit back and counter, which is what Mexico did today. What I would say is Tata Martino knows very well just how bad, perhaps more than anybody else, this version of Mexico is compared to the Mexicos of 2018, of 2014, of 2010. He specifically knows it in the attack. This team is not dangerous. This team is not as good as the Mexicos of the past. This team was incapable of playing al tu por tu with Argentina. So he had, I think, no choice but to set up as he did. And what I think we saw was a perfectly executed game plan until a moment of magic from the greatest of all time, right? Messi, if the, if, the, if the goal that beats you against Argentina is a messy shot from outside the box that beats your great shot-stopping goalie. Was this more messy or was this just not having the right personnel? And, and but, that, but that personnel wanna, limited Messi and limited wanna, Argentina for the first 65 minutes. Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia limited Messi and limited Argentina, and they beat Argentina. So 
where do you want to go with this? Because if you're going to sit here and try to make me believe that this Mexican team, that this year, this calendar year, lost a CONCACAF Nations League final to the United States off of set pieces. And then in the Gold Cup, played against a seed team from the United States and lost to them in that final. And then in World Cup qualifying, lost in Cincinnati against the U.S. 2-0. And then couldn't beat the U.S. in the Azteca. Couldn't beat Canada in the Azteca. Couldn't beat Costa Rica in the Azteca. If you're trying to tell me that was an indication that all of a sudden something was going to change at this World Cup, I don't buy it. And let me tell you this. So you're agreeing with me. This uh, team had no capacity to play out to Porto with anybody of quality. No, no. And, and, and a struggling Argentina. I, I think that's an Argentina at half gas. Now, you don't have to ask me. But regardless of the result versus Saudi Arabia, mm -hmm. I'm convinced Tata Martino shouldn't have been here at this World Cup. They should have made a move when they had a chance. When? What has he showed you? What has he showed you yes. throughout the last 18 months where no. you think this Not team is capable of something in this World Cup? The last time that this team looked good was before the pandemic in 2019. That's the last time that this team really looked good. Yeah, there were a lot of things that were really different in the world. But yes. Raul Jimenez was healthy for one. Exactly. And I think when we talk about this attack and the decisions that were made and, and the lack of punch that it has, a lot of it comes down to Tata Martino's stubbornness to rely on Raul Jimenez, not necessarily to bring and him to this. And not just him. Well, not to, just to bring him to this tournament, but throughout qualifying to not try to find another answer. Well, not just him. Because in World Cup qualifying, Tecatito Corona was one of the most criticized players throughout all of World Cup qualifying for Mexico. Mm -hmm. And he stuck with them. Hector Herrera, Guardado. I, I see him. I'm sorry. I'm, I just see a big difference between Raul and Tecatito. No, 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 no. But what I'm trying to tell you, I'm trying to go with you. La terquidad de, de, de Tata Martino. Yes. The stubbornness of Tata Martino. Because people could sit here and they say, well, the best players are at this World Cup. But in that time, you could have progressed an Alexis Vega, much more. Mm. He could have had much more opportunity. A Henry Martin, much more opportunity. There were players who were playing well in their domestic clubs in Liga MX who never got a sniff with Tata Martino. And he would rely on the same players. Jesus Gallardo. Yeah. Jesus Gallardo, who was benched by Aguirre in Monterrey. Was still getting called was in. Was still getting yes. called in. At one point, Chaka Rodriguez was still getting called in until it, Pio Correra made it. Well, you're saying one point. We're not talking about that long ago. It's during World Cup qualifiers. So what I'm trying to tell you is Tata Martino's as much to blame yes. for things going on right now than, hey, it's just a talent pool type of thing. It's a talent pool situation. Yes, and I think that the great kind of comparison is the U.S. men's national team. Because you can throw the pandemic in as an excuse to be like, well, I lost this year, I lost this year to experiment, so I come out of this year and i got to stick with what I know works, right? To get through qualifying, it's triage at that point. You're just trying to get through, and you don't have time to right. kind of evolve the right. team, right? You don't have that, well, that opportunity. Greg Berhalter evolved the team. He sadly, forced those young guys sadly. in, and Tata Martino never, ever, he ever did had, that with He this. even had, had to do it behind the eight ball of 13 months where he wasn't there. It was Dave Sarikin. There you go. He had to fast track these kids. There you and go. I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's something that he went through that Tata Martino could have had time to yes. do on his own and evolve this team. All right, let's get into kind of the big moments of the game. Obviously, the, the game-winning goal is the big moment. It comes from Lionel Messi, but what did what did you and I do as soon as that goal? Actually, I think after I threw my pen. I wrote and, it down. And I put, typed it in my phone. You, you, you looked at me, and you started to say it was right in the zone, and I pointed to my notepad. What does it say? That's where Edson should have been, right? It comes, it comes across the top of the area. Hector Herrera is in the picture, but kind of loses track of Messi for a second. Doesn't get anywhere near him. The ball comes across, and right in that zone, that space right in front of the Mexican back line, Messi has time to touch, control, set up on that godly left foot, and bury it past Memo Choa. And it wasn't even a worldly of a shot. Uh, honestly, if somebody hmm. steps up on time, I don't think he has that Are you shot. putting it on Memo? No, I don't think it's on Memo. You can't, you, can can't I, have, you can't have a player who's, who's that right. good in front of you 20 yards out and, and to pick a corner. Uh, but... If somebody is pushing up there, he doesn't have that shot. He doesn't have that variant, that option of driving it. He's got to disguise it somehow. He's got to change the hips. He's got to go in step. He's got to go high. He can't drive it the way he drove it. That's the specialty of being in that spot and breaking that type of opportunity of Edson Alvarez. Your only informed player. Mm -hmm. Not just right now, of the last like 18 months, two years. He's the only informed player you've had at a high level, the only Class A player. Chelsea wanted him for $50 million. Who else? Does the Mexican national team have? Is there even a defense for Tata Martino if he says, well, look, for, until Messi does that thing, my game plan worked, right? 
Is there a defense there for him at all? What's the game plan to go 0-0? Yes, that was clearly the game plan, I think, right? He, I mean, when you start with five at the back, he did, it, and you've it, never really done worked, that before. It worked for 45 minutes. And, and, and the one player we all had questions about his fitness, mm -hmm. his ability to physically play with that midfield, mm -hmm. His body gave up on him. Andres Guardado Andres coming Guardado. off uh, in the 41st minute. And then Guti comes on, who you've been yelling at the high heavens yep. to get an opportunity. Yep. And he's at fault for the second goal. And look, I'm not going to fault him, really, because it's very difficult to come it's into a, golazo, a game. Yeah. Yes, and, and, and that one is a worldly. But he was stone feet. He was put in a bad position right there. It's not his specialty. And yeah. then Fernandez, Enzo Fernandez picked his corner, and it, and it was a beautiful goal. So I think if I thought that the ways in which Mexico would concede in this World Cup, I thought, Set pieces, you know, even if it's from the run of play, crosses coming in, Memo not coming out. I really wouldn't have thought that Memo would get beaten on two shots. Now, I know the Enzo one, we see it from an angle. It's a curler. It looks beautiful. The messy one is from outside the area. It's, it's not in the angle. You, you kind of suggested almost that, like, it wasn't that great of a shot. If we, if we put in perspective that Memo's, like, all-time thing he does best is shot-stopping. Is any of that on him? either of those two? The goal goes in be between somebody's leg, like literally under the leg. It's very difficult for Memo to react. I, I, you know what hard, it is? It's hard and it's slow. And this, this is where I give Messi yeah. cre credit. Messi's one of the few players in the world that's so smart at disguising his shots, uh, 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 picking his corner, picking exactly where he wants to do, manipulating the football. He knew exactly what he wanted to do and where he wanted to put it because he saw that opening. What I'm trying to tell you is with a player like Edson Alvarez, that opening maybe isn't there. Mm. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So... I hold Memo to a high World Cup standard because we've seen it before. And I think we've seen him make similar saves to that. We've seen it against Brazil. We've seen it against Germany. But if you're going to rely on Memo Chotu after he's already made the big save that, he, that you're, you can honestly count penalty. on from a goalie in a tournament, save on you know, one of the greatest strikers of all time from the penalty spot, uh, then you really are effectively, it's a hope and a prayer, right? That, that, and that's not really, I think, fair to, to put on Memo. Uh, let's talk about Messi and how they dealt with him. Because until that goal, he's quiet. Yeah. Or is that fair? Do you think he was, he was louder than quiet? He had his moments, and that's the thing with Messi. Those moments are, are All right, but, else. But, but they didn't lead to anything. It, it, he attracts so many players. It doesn't look like it leads to something, but it does lead to something. But where? Where were those great chances? Well, he had the one where he spun around Guardado and then ended up making Luis Chavez. That creates a lot, and then it's a chance for Argentina into the final third. But when you're that type of player, it's not like... Hey, he beats one player. He attracts four players right. at a time. So is it then on the other guys that didn't take advantage? A little bit. Because yeah. this is very, honestly, if you look at this Argentina team, this isn't the same Argentina team that we've been sold on. 35 straight wins, I believe. 36, yeah. 36 straight. 36 unmatched, uh, unbeaten, not 36, straight wins. Yeah. 36 unbeaten. Uh, you look at some of Until these Saudi. players. You, well, you look at some of these players, and you look at like a, a France, you look at a Brazil, and you look where their players play. Yeah. You know, how many of these players are prime players, huge players in the best teams in the world? Right. And, and especially in the back, you know? Benfica, Atleti, you know, it, it starts to start. And, and they would tell you, our Argentine colleagues would tell you, especially at the outside back positions, they get thin. So I think you can hurt this team. I think other teams have found out. Maybe they're not as strong as we once thought. I certainly don't see this team right now as one of the favorites. I don't know if you do. No. 
I didn't really see them as, as a favorite coming in, if I'm being I, honest. I, I'm going to be honest. I, I drank the Kool-Aid. I, I, I absolutely saw them as one really? of the favorites coming in. Yeah, because of the way they played in South American qualifying and in the Copa America. They're so defensively sound, and they're so explosive on the break, and they've got a special player like Leonel Messi. I know Scaloni was a U-20 coach before taking over as a full team manager, or the national team. So that's probably goes against them, that experience. But you, but you really just watched Messi do everything he d- he's done for finals and finally win one in Brazil with this setup you were just thinking and if Brazil's a fi- you know one of the favorites they they've got to be one of the favorites so when Argentina falls to Saudi Arabia the discussion uh, on this show on the desk over there uh, in our production meetings was you know is it a bad thing or a good thing for Mexico i think a lot of the people who said it was a bad thing for Mexico were saying that Argentina would come out super motivated you know for this game I actually think that's not what happened. The first 45 minutes, we saw kind of the other side of that coin, which was part of my argument, which is just because you're desperate doesn't mean you play better. It can be destabilizing. When they won the Copa America final, I got the sense that everybody on that Argentina team elevated their level. Of course, because they were in a final. Of course, because they want to win it. But because Messi hadn't won it yet. Today, I felt like everybody on Argentina's level dropped because they were so worried about being part of the team that let Messi down. And so just to bring it back to him, you can see the weight that is on him. I think not just emotionally, but literally with this team. He's going to have to carry this team. When he scores that goal, was he? Was he tearing up? I thought he was crying. Honestly, I thought there was a tear in his eye. That's a desahogo. That's a release he, of a guy he, who, was, who was suffering not just in this tournament, but I think in this game as well. Argentina were nervous at 0-0. Yes, Very nervous. Here's a reality um, about Lionel Messi. He is still one of the best players in the world and capable of skinning any defender. <laughs> That's a reality. But he's not the player today, and I don't think there are many players in this world that are going to put a team on their back like he used to. That's yeah. how good he was. He used to put a team on his back and do everything, offensively everything, attract numbers. All you needed to do was be a wall. You needed to be a, a, a solid figure or a solid object to get the ball back from. That's what Messi needed. That's what he's needed throughout his career. But right now, in this moment, in his mid-30s, he's not that same player. He's still one of the best players in the world, absolutely. And he could change the game, absolutely. But not like he once could. All right, let's get to the discussion on the formation that Tata Martino chose for this game. It's a 5-3-2. What's particularly interesting, Herc, about this is it's something we have not really seen a lot from Mexico, certainly not in competitive matches. I remember a couple friendly seeing it, and even when I saw it, I remember being like, woof. Uh, Let's not do this again. So I was very, very surprised to see this lineup just, not just the players selected, but the shape heading into this game. I understand the logic behind it. What I don't understand is going with something in such a big game that has never really worked for you, and you've and you've almost never tried it before. But when you have, it's looked poor. I, I, at I, best, at best. I've seen it in a, in a few friendlies. Uh, they played Iraq. They did it. They played Uruguay. They did it. They lost 3-0 to Uruguay in the States when they did it, by the way. And I remember one against Iceland where okay. they were I remember the one official. Okay. And there was the semifinal versus Costa Rica, I believe, in the CONCACAF Nations League before they faced the United States. Mm-hmm. And they had three center backs. And for those of you out there, tell me if you remember Uriel Antuna playing as a wingback. That's the last time in an official game I remember Tata Martino going with three at the back, essentially a 3-5-2, if you will. Um, I'm not a fan of something like that. I'm not a fan of all of a sudden changing and trying to do something on the world stage that mm-hmm. you've never done with your team. They've never prepared. They've never played this 11 that way. I know some teams have surprised and gotten away with it. I think this is one of those moments where it backfired. Uh, I felt they were very fortunate because there are plays in games that change games. It's yeah. a reality. I thought Mexico was very fortunate with uh, Nestor Araujo now getting sent off. Yeah. 22nd minute. Uh, through, my, through my green glasses, I thought it was a yellow. Uh, you, you thought it was red on Araujo? Yeah, that's, that's, that's one that I could easily see being a red. It, it's, it's late. It's high. I know it's a trailing leg, but it's reckless. And you're in a World Cup. We've seen things called for less. It, it could have been a game-changing situation. Ended up not being. Um, but those are key moments in the game that could change things. And could you imagine what it would have been like playing with 10? No. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who knows how it would have ended up, especially now as we look forward with kind of goal, goal difference. Goal yeah. uh, And everything. The, the decision not to start Edson. Um, from a, a fan, you know, Dan Thomas on ESPN FC would use the term punter, you know, kind of the, the guy down at the pub who doesn't really know, and I'll, I'll play that role. Edson is so rare in the Mexican talent pool. You know, he's, he's playing at a high level 
on, on a team that's a, a significant team, you know, in kind of Champions League history, uh, a team that's going to win titles, uh, and a player who's been linked to some of the biggest clubs in the world, as, United as you, and Chelsea, as you in pointed the last out, few right, months. Uh, in the Premier League, and that interest seems very real, right? That interest seems very real because we've heard Edson talk about the disappointment of not going. I understand that there are horses for courses, but I think there's a level at which a player is where it doesn't matter. Like that dude has to be in your eleven, and if you're taking a guy like Edson Alvarez out because of some tactic you want to try, you're overthinking it. And, and, and it's really hard for me to understand what situation, what the, what the question, what the formula, what the math is for Tata Martino, where the answer ends up, you know what? We're better off without Edson Alvarez, one of our few elite players on the field. I, I, I will never understand that. And I never really understood her even coming into this tournament how that was even a discussion. What, what, is the, what is he trying to get out of a midfield by not putting Edson in it? <clears throat> Would you just say horses for courses? Yeah. Okay. So like, hey, this course is one way. I'm going to let this no, horse no, no, run. I, Instead I, of just knowing that this horse is fast, I'm going to let it run. Yes. I, I got okay. it. I got it. If you have Andres Guardado, Luis Chavez, and Hector Herrera in that midfield, what message are you sending to your midfielders? Keep the ball. We're going to have the ball. Yeah. We are going to have the ball. That's what the message you are sending to your midfield. But your back five says we're not going to have the ball. Can I, can I read to your you? Your front two says there ain't nobody to pass it or outlet it to. 59% possession for Argentina. Mm-hmm. You didn't have the ball. So if you don't have the ball, Andres Guardado's not going to go get the ball for you. Sure, the odd tackle here and there, but that's not his forte. No. Do you know whose forte that is? One of the few players in the Mexican pool who does that because the majority of Mexican players are very technical. They're very dynamic. They're players with sound tactical game. But they're not destroyers. They're not meto pierna. They're not, you know, destroying, uh, putting the, the leg in hard, winning the ball. They're not those ball winners. You have one of those on your roster, one real one on your roster. It's Edson Alvarez. If you're not going to have the ball, what do you do when you don't have the ball? Chase. You go get the ball. Yeah. That's what Edson Alvarez does. Yeah. And in a play with Lionel Messi has the ball, and in that zone, you need somebody to get the ball. There's one player I would pick, I would hope would be in that zone. Mm-hmm. I would hope would be in that moment against Lionel Messi. And it's Edson Alvarez. Yeah. You know what I think? I think of the game against England, the United States, and Tyler Adams just kind of being in the way, right? Every time there was a – he might not have even touched the ball, but he might have just persuaded a player not to make a pass. And there was nobody to kind of fill those lanes for Mexico. And, and that was very evident in the second half, not so much in the first. So my question to you is – did Argentina change something, or did Mexico's like level just drop? Like, could they no no longer chase as much because they'd expended the energy in the first half? Maybe oh. as we criticize Greg Berhalter against Wales, was there a need for a Mexico sub beyond Guti for Guadado, which we know is forced in the 41st minute? Was there a need for a Tata change there before the goal falls at 64? Because we will point out, Scaloni does make the change. His change is at 63. Uh, Martinez Montiel come off. Alvarez and Molina on. And one minute later, I don't know if it's a direct result, but one minute later, Argentina gets a breakthrough. I don't know if Edson Alvarez not coming on is injury, injury or precaution related, but it doesn't make sense to me. Is there any evidence that he's injured? I, you're just saying that because there's no other way to explain it, right? You're not saying that we have not heard any sort of... I, 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 there's no other way... Because I don't want to give Tata out here. I don't want to give Tata Greg Berhalter, Gio Reyna out. This is a tactical out. decision that is mind-boggling. But that's, that's not an out. It's putting it on him. Like, the only reason you don't make that sub, you don't make a sub on Edson Alvarez when the game is screaming for him is because you think he's carrying something. Hmm. There's a knock. This so why'd, why'd you play him last game? Maybe he got it from last right, game. Right, right. But that's the only reason, Seb. Because the game was screaming for a player of that capability, of, of his characteristics. Tata Martino against a team he claims to know very well. Yeah. Scaloni, a coach, he knows... Absolutely well. Yeah. Played exactly into their hands. No nine, a game that you probably would have brought on on a Rogelio Funes Mori because he's quick, because he's a physical presence as well. He's good in the air. And also was born in Argentina, so this game might mean something to, excuse me, mean something to him. He could play with a little extra oomph. He doesn't. He puts in Raul Jimenez, who we've had health issues. Yep. With. We've had doubts about his physical stature or presence. I, I don't understand. And to answer your question, um, of why it happened, don't underestimate the emotion that goes into playing a World Cup. It's the pinnacle of your career. It's the one moment when you know the world is watching, Mm -hmm. your home is watching, and it's a sinking feeling. 
when they're all over you, when they're on top of you, when you think the opponent is better than you. And all you can do is come into a natural— And your coaches protect, set you up for that to happen. Protect yourself posture. Yeah. That's why you saw that. So to me, this was Tata Martino's game. This was his moment, if ever there was a moment for him to validate the huge expenditure, because he's one of the highest paid coaches in the history of Mexican soccer. Sixth highest, sixth highest played in the World Cup. Of the Federation. And they did not bring Tata Martino to Mexico to qualify this team. They did not bring them for the group phase. They brought him to beat big opponents, to trascender, to do the things that Mexican football has never done before. And actually, it worked out perfectly for him. Because if ever he was going to have the chance to show off just what a great, intelligent, smart manager he is, it's against the team that he knows best and a player in Messi that he knows very, very well. And in the end, no matter how the, the game played out, they lost to nothing. His gamble... His gamble tactically didn't pay off. And so to me, this is, the, this is Tata Martino's biggest failure. This is his failure. And at the end, this will be his legacy. So, because it's going to take something special, a miracle, a milagro, for now Mexico to get out of the group for the eighth straight World so Cup. So if they get out of the group for the eighth straight World Cup, most likely it'll be in second place. Yeah, yeah. What inkling, what, what feeling, what confidence or hope do you have that that'll translate into some, some sort of miracle versus France? <laughs> miracle versus France. I'm talking about a miracle versus I Saudi know. Arabia. Think about it. I'm talking about a miracle. No, no, no. Forget el quinto partido. Forget el quinto partido. That's that's nowhere well, near. No, I'm saying it because you're talking yeah. about what Tata Martino was brought here to do. Yeah. To show you how far he is from what he was brought here to do. So if you can't even think right now about France. Right. Because you're like, I have my doubts about Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Which, by the way, is not going to be easy. I don't know. I mean, it's going to be such an open game versus Saudi Arabia. And I thought Saudi Arabia did enough today to beat Poland. Mm. It really is. Missed a penalty early. Missed a penalty early. uh, Gifted uh, Robert Lewandowski a goal. Congrats, Robert. You know, it it definitely, definitely is. You're going to go viral again for taking shots at Robert Lewandowski or what? I'm glad he scored. One of the best goal scorers of our generation. Uh, You're talking about the Saudi Arabia game, the France game. Like, to win games, correct me if I'm wrong, do you need to score goals? Because there is, and oh, this is kind of make the other team score the goal for you, right? And so this is kind of to me the 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 end all with this Mexico and the end all with with Tata is they have not really been able to score, they've not been able to create chances for a very long time. And one of the great things about being here at the World Cup, being part of ESPN's coverage, is we get to talk to people from all over the world. And a lot of those people, Herc, don't necessarily watch Mexican soccer, but every four years, right? They don't see this national team a lot, and so their perception is, well, I remember the Mexico of '98. I remember the Mexico of 2002. I remember the Mexico of 2014. Maybe even some of the great moments against Germany in 2018. And they say, this Mexico doesn't, doesn't look like that. This Mexico is not the Mexico of the past. The talent pool that has been brought here, whether through coach's decision or player decision or, or, just injury. or injury, yeah. is, is, is significantly less than what we've seen in the past. And that, to me, is is what doesn't generate hope for whether it's Saudi Arabia or whether it's France or Denmark or whoever it might be. Because let's be honest, Mexico is not eliminated yet. Mexico is not eliminated. And ha- is the- if there were a Linus, if there was a Santi, if there was a Vela, if there was a Chicharito, if there was a, a healthy and vibrant Tecatito, I would have hope. But there, there is no reason for hope with this team. Is there? Because well, you got again, I go back to you got to score. Is there any hope for goal with this team? Yeah, no, there's there's hope for a goal. Uh, listen, uh, you said horses for a courses. penalty, exactly. No, no, thank no, you, no, producer no. Beto. No, 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 no. There's there's hope for goals just because of how direct uh, and how vertical and how open Saudi Arabia can be. They're going to lend themselves to opportunities to the opposition. The problem is, and this is where you have to be aware: when you score, if and when you score, can you not get scored on? And that's where my issue comes with Mexico. When they go and attack, they also leave themselves vulnerable. They're a team that opens themselves up. If they play the two for two, that means the other team also gets chances. Now, the problem here is you can score two, but the moment Saudi Arabia scores one, oh, man, that feeling comes back in. And now you know that one feels like it's three. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Their vulnerability was evident throughout many, many stretches of CONCACAF play against much inferior opponents. Today it wasn't as evident, but it goes back to just how conservative the setup was from Tata Martino. Of course, one of the big storylines coming into this game is, of course, where's Tata Martino from? He's from Argentina. That kind of adds a little bit more fuel to this Argentina-Mexico. Do we call it a rivalry? You know, we had this conversation with the USA and England yesterday. 
where does this fit into the grand scheme of things as far as rivalries go? Because it feels like from a Mexican perspective, uh, as we see some of the results there outside of 2004 Copa America, there's some big and very now heartbreaking losses, especially uh, in World Cups against El Albi Celeste. That's not a rivalry. Nah. I mean, I don't think the U.S.-England is a rivalry. This is... This hey, is... wait a sec, wait a sec, but there's a difference. USA and England isn't a rivalry, but England doesn't have a record at the World Cup of, of knocking the United States out. At least the U.S. can hold on to something. I mean, this is paternidad. This is that's, ownership. That's right. That's why it's not a rivalry. I mean, you could you could say USA-Ghana is a rivalry because there's been wins on both sides, right? Oh, wow, they're rolling, they're rolling pictures from <laughs> 2006. No, 2006? No, 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 this is 2006. Oh, that's Maxi. That is Maxi. There's Gonzo Pineda. Yeah. And that's why, it, and I think in almost a way that hurts more, them not recognizing it in the same way that Mexican yes. players, fans, or press. Yesterday I was watching Football Picante, and they did a crossover with our Argentine colleagues. Yes. And it's Oscar Ruggeri who was the 1986 mm -hmm. center back for that Diego Armando Maradona team that won, who asked the panel of ex-players, among them Hugo Sanchez, of why Mexico can't seem to beat Argentina and asked them if it's a mental thing. Just to, just to kind of hear that and think to yourself, why would, why would you ask another player? Like, it goes to show how deep this paternity runs. Mm -hmm. So there it is, another dos a cero against El Tri. This one courtesy of Argentina. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. Now let's get to the other action today in Group C. We mentioned it before, but Poland taking on Saudi Arabia at Education City Stadium. This is actually a pretty exciting game. Key moment early in the first half, Wojciech Szczesny saves the penalty from Salem Aldausari. Uh, and then from there, Poland got their goal. 39th minute from Peter Zielinski. And then the man who Hercules Gomez famously criticized and went viral for criticizing. Robert Lewandowski totally redeems himself with a goal in the 82nd minute off a very, very bad uh, mistake from the Saudi Arabian defense. Uh, worth noting, uh, Saudi Arabia came into this game with a lot of yellow cards. They picked up a few more. And in fact, I think their number eight will now be ineligible for the game against Mexico. So that could uh, come to be somewhat important in the third and final group phase as we take a look at Group C through two games. Uh, Poland right now on top of the group with four points. And as you can see, both the computers and odds makers have Poland and Argentina as the very odds-on favorites to advance uh, Mexico there with just one point from their first two games, facing not just Herc a must-win, but a must-win and must-get help. That is, other than being eliminated, right, other than being Qatar, the worst spot you want to be going into the third game. It's a terrible spot for Mexico. And that second goal, that second it, goal today from Enzo Fernandez, it's a dagger, but especially because... Could be. Could be very significant. No, it, it, it is significant because in the back of your mind if you're playing, mm -hmm. you know, and that can stretch you out. That could make you a little bit vulnerable. We got to win, but now we got to win by two. It makes it worse knowing... Unless, unless, of course, Argentina blow out Poland, which I don't think is beyond the realm of possibility. I don't right? think so, but also a tie may be good business for Argentina as well. You know, if you think about it, I think they're a goal up on on. Um, nah, Argentina have big aspirations in this tournament. They want to win this group. A tie leaves them second. A tie leaves them second and leaves them facing off against France. If they can beat Poland and avoid it, they're gonna. They're not gonna settle for a tie. Her, come on. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying a tie right. gets them in. A tie gets them in. So knowing that it's gonna make things worse when you look at the performance you had versus Poland, which maybe mm -hmm. wasn't dangerous, but Poland, besides the penalty kick, which is probably the best opportunity for a team to win that game. Yeah. What was really never in the game. Had very little possession. Didn't do 
anything close to what they did to Saudi Arabia today. And I know Saudi Arabia missed the penalty kick and then gifted them the second goal. But you have to kick yourself if you're Mexico because you didn't take advantage of the first game, yeah. which was always the most important game. It would be a non-factor today, mm -hmm. right now. You wouldn't be talking about this. You would be saying, a tie gets us through. Yeah, yeah. So we were kind of lamenting the subs, right? The guys who came off the bench, maybe there wasn't there, weren't the options there that, that we would have liked to, for Tata Martino to kind of dip to in a, in a moment of need. But that was the first round of subs. When they make the second round of subs at 74, when the game is one nothing, and clearly the panorama, like the, the outlook on the group has changed, now we maybe start thinking about goal difference. Instead of, the, instead of the moment at hand against Argentina, we start thinking goal difference. We start thinking about saving guys for Saudi Arabia. And that's exactly what you said to me at 74 when Lozano comes off and Alvarado comes on. You said, oh, he's thinking about Saudi Arabia. It was, that Alexi, the it was Alexis Vega first. Sorry, yes. sorry. Yeah, Alexis comes off. Uh, is, is, is that the right call there? If you're throwing in an Edson Alvarez to stop the bleeding or, or, or to make sure right. goal number two doesn't come in, it's the right call. Absolutely. But the only one who ever looked threatening okay. was Alexis Vega. It was really just Alexis Vega, the only one that in this World Cup has looked threatening. Mm -hmm. Versus Poland, versus Argentina. The only one, when the ball goes around his vicinity, you think, you know what, in any moment he can go full speed. And if he's not full speed back to goal, they're not getting the ball off of him. He's been that good for Mexico in these two games. And you take him out. With that, you take away Las Esperanzas. You take away that hope of the Mexican uh, fan base. The last question here on the approach. It's a 5-3-2 against Argentina. And the approach there is clearly defend. That is the most conservative posture and personnel choices that Tata Martino could make. It's a very different scenario against Saudi Arabia. You have to win, and you now probably depending on what happens in the other game, have to win by more than a goal. Let's say to really give yourself a good feeling that goal difference will go your way. What is that formation? And who are the players and the people that need to be on the field for Mexico to be at their most explosive, even if that I don't think is very explosive at all? Well, the who are you bringing in? Well, Orbelin, Antuna, Alvarado. Give me some names. Give me, a, give me a line. Give me a, not a lineup, but give me a formation. What, what does Mexico look like at their most dangerous? Because, again, I haven't seen it in three years. Well, you've seen it in three years. You've not seen it in the last two years, maybe 18 months. Uh, their most dangerous, or I should say the most comfortable, is what this pool of players was designed for, a 4-3-3. That's the only thing they can play. They've got no other variants. That's, that's what Tata Martino has drilled into their head since he's been here. So these players are designed for a function of a 4-3-3. Your best option in the midfield would be Luis Chavez, would be an Edson Alvarez. I still think Ache-Ache to pick out those pockets of service, uh, but up top, you got to get your most dynamic players. It's got to be Alexis Vega. Mm -hmm. It's got to be Jerry Martin, who's, okay. I think, earned this opportunity. And I think you go back to the well with Chucky Lozano, thinking that Chucky Lozano could be your first sub if and when he runs out of steam and you get somebody who's either vertical or shifty in a... Piojo Alvarado or Uriel Antuna. And in that midfield, honestly, if Herrera, for whatever reason, cannot go, I think Orbelin Pineda is uh, the logical choice. And then back there, you've got to go dynamic. So you've got to get Arteaga. Mm. You've got to get a player. Kevin Alvarez is better going forward. If that's what you need, it goes. Sanchez, yeah. Get Kevin Alvarez on there. You've got to get two players that are defensively sound but can give you something on set pieces. So that's got to be Montes. And you've got to make a decision right now because he's – doesn't see um, Johan Vasquez in his plans if it's Moreno or if it's Araujo. They both had their shaky moments in the past two games. All right, let's put L3 down for just a second. We're going to turn our attention back to the U.S. men's national team. Now, Tyler Adams, right, had a great performance last night. But beyond that, he had some very interesting comments a few months ago. Let's check them out. Seb Salazar or Hurt Gomez? <laughs> I don't want I don't want to create any enemies again on my hands. Ooh, Herc Gomez. All right, of course, uh, that video shot at Leeds. I didn't know they were going to sneak Brendan, the politician, in there. Look at that. Well handled by uh, Brendan Aronson. Can I just point out your great anecdote about Tyler Adams is how he told you to F off, and he still picked you over me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, he knows you. Uh, and, and Brendan, you are now my enemy. He's my enemy. I mean, you Who's made your an enemy. enemy. Brandon. Yes. yes. 
Really? Why? Well, he, he didn't want to choose because he didn't want to make enemies. He just made an enemy. Nah, Rule number on. one, always be honest. Yes. Rule number one on Football Americas, you always have to have a take. You always have to have uh, an Honesty. opinion. Honesty. All right, so we heard uh, Tyler Adams kind of in, in, in a joking mood. Uh, let's hear from him. This is after the game last night, one-on-one -on -one with our Sam Borden. Here with Tyler Adams. Tyler, what did you take away from the result tonight? I think there's a lot of positives to take away from the, the game that we played tonight. You know, obviously England is a very strong opponent, a an opponent that we respect a lot. Um, but we created a lot of high-quality chances. I think something that we struggled to do in, in the first game against Wales. Um, and one thing that we continue to look at is that we give up very limited chances to our opponent. And when you play these big teams, obviously that's, that's super important. England had a big offensive performance in their first game. Obviously, you guys limited them tonight. What was the difference? I mean, I think the game plan going into this game was we needed to get in and around the ball, you know, give these high-quality players limited time and space to make decisions. We know just, just in general in, in football that if you give quality players time and space on the ball, they're going to be able to hurt you, find spaces, find opportunities to score. Um, and we did a really good job tonight. You saw guys that went out and competed, and if they could only compete for 60 minutes at a high level, then we put the next guy in, and it was the next guy up mentality. All right, so the result tonight sets up a win-and-you're-in scenario against Iran. What's the mindset going into that game? It's great to know that we've put ourselves in a position to decide our, our own fate. Um, I think that going into this game, we need to be mentally prepared. Uh, Iran played an, an unbelievable game today against Wales. We know that they're going to have you know, some strength, some power, some energy coming into this game because they know also that if they get a result, that they're in, So most likely. So um, for us, we, we need to control what we can control, but uh, we're going to be ultra-aggressive to go out there and play our game. You guys have talked for a long time about wanting to change the perception mm -hmm. of soccer in America. Mm -hmm. What would a win in a game like this one mean? Um, it would show that we're able to navigate through a tournament setting uh, in the right way. You know, it would show our progression over the past couple of years um, and how far we've come. I think, you know, a game like tonight has, has set the tone to, to show that, you know, we can stand with some of the highest quality opponents in the world, and now we have to continue to do that consistently. Thanks very much. Yeah, you got it. All right, so here's a look at Tyler Adams' actual heat map from last night. Those eight recoveries, tops on the U.S. men's national team. No surprise, sir. He wasn't the man of the match, but he was my man of the match. And my uh, ESPN FC player ratings, I gave him an eight higher than anybody else on the U.S. Do you agree? I picked him yesterday, you know that. You were here, standing next to me when I picked him. I was here. Well, you, you stole him right out from under me. black out? All right, so that's his actual heat map. Let's do a meme cap on Tyler Adams because he was blowing up Twitter yesterday. <laughs> That's about right. He covered most of the field, didn't he? That doesn't yeah. look all that different from what you just saw. The Tyler Adams heat map doesn't just look like that. It also looks like this, Herc. Oh, it kind of looks like a goat. Oh, it is a goat. Oh, it is a goat. He's the greatest of all time quite yet. No, but, uh, but no, it's, nobody's saying he's the greatest of all time. Certainly yes. Oh, yes, you love it. You hate to see it. Uh, Mount, Kane, Saka, none of those guys. The matchup apparently for uh, for Tyler Adams or Twitter and the internet. Our good friend Matteo Benetti saying, "Hey, this doesn't look like Tyler Adams." When Christian Pulisic got the uh, the Man of the Match trophy, there, it doesn't look like Tyler, does it? It does not look like Tyler. Awkward. So what was in Tyler Adams' pockets last night? Oh, just half of the England attack, some cash and some keys. And our last meme uh, is basically how we all felt about Tyler Adams last night. He wins. You look emotional, mate. I'm with you, I'm with you. Go on, let it out. He wins that ball so much. For more on the United States matchup with England, great to welcome back into Football Americas, El Profe Juan Carlos Osorio. All right, before we get to the tactics board and everything, nobody's watching here. This is just between us. <laughs> they've, been, they've been using you a lot over on Football Picante, but you can tell everybody now what's your favorite show here on ESPN. This one. Really. Yes, my guy. Uh, <laughs> ahí está, El Profe, telling you the truths uh, that you need to hear. All right, so let's look back at this USA-England game, because I think a lot of people were surprised, not just that the United States Profe were able to get a result, but the way that they played. So... Tactically, what was the best thing that the United States did to have such a good performance against England, in your opinion? Right. Um, I would like to start by saying that um, in, in the World Cup in Brazil, four national teams played with three in the back and uh, two wing-backs, uh, Holland, uh, Chile, Costa Rica, and Mexico. 
In this World Cup, uh, looking at all my notes, there are about, so far, 10 teams that decide to play, t 10 national teams that decide to play goalkeeper and the 4-3-3 system. So now, to understand and to get into the details, uh, analyzing the house, we have to know the who's because otherwise we get confused and it's very simple to say they play 4-3-3, but actually the players make it... Uh, They've dictated the system. Exactly. So uh, if we compare England, then as Hercules Riley told me, they play with two, and it's more like uh, Rice and then Bellingham, but in possession he goes and tries to... Uh, joined the attack as he did against uh, Iran with his head header and then the third midfielder is Mount and it seems like he plays as a second striker in behind Kane and then they have Saka and um, Sterling or Graylich in the second half whether United States it seems like Adams feel more comfortable because he's very athletic very mobile playing in this channel here, which is about 20 meters wide. And then that allows McKinney to play in this half a space, which is about 11 meters. And he finds, when he's on the ball, he's able to run with the ball and make the, 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 the opposite team to drop back, force them to go back. And then if this guy helps, and he did Musa, in yes. the previous, uh, yes, uh, Musa. Musa. Then you have basically two, they call it in, in, in Spanish, llegadores, the guys that attack. Arrive this, in the area, right? Arrive in the area. They don't play staying there, but they go into the attack. Very different to Spain, for instance, that they progress as, as the game progresses itself, Pro then they go forward. I'm, I'm talking about Gabi and Pedri. This, uh, this pair of inside midfielders are very athletic, and I think that helped Adam to do his job on when they the other team gets possession, then they help them back, and they held him back, and he's very tight, and every duel is contested, and every ball means a lot to these three central midfielders. Profit, uh Talk to me about Harry Kane, this guy right here, because even though he didn't score against Iran, he had two assists, and he seems to me like such an influential player for yeah. them, getting them going. He was limited to like 12 touches. Three touches in the U.S. box the That's whole game. That's crazy to me. How is it that this never got to Harry Kane? Well, I think, uh, again, this, the, the three central midfielders, the three American central midfielders, um, centrocampistas, uh, they really make very difficult for any any ball to pass into this. If he's staying here, he will play in this in-behind zone, which is the C Z14 zone. And he has to get help from him in order to attract the two uh, outside, uh, the two inside midfielders that help Adam on the ball. Yeah. But they didn't do it because they always push, they always mark forward. So they keep this high, this line very high up. And it surprised me because Zimmerman and Rim are not the fastest players. No. However, they were never exposed because he is quick, Robinson and Wea and Dest. Yeah. Dest. So they can take the wingers and then these two can hold the high line the, the, the line up and therefore Kane is very limited not only in touches but in chances to score. You know Profe one of the things I was very impressed with was the work rate of uh, Timothy Weah who's a winger and oftentimes I don't know if you saw the same thing but I saw him playing as a second forward in the way they defended so it looked like a 4-4-2 for me when they defended. So very good. That, did you see the same thing? Yes, absolutely. How important was and that a, press? And again, profit? they are very athletic. Wea and, and the other forward, uh, what's his name? Haji Wright. Haji Wright, yes. I think that, that changed the, 
the whole thing because Sargent is, is a good player, but I don't see him being as physical as these two. So when you can put pressure higher up the pitch and then you can follow that with the three midfielders, then you can always try to regain possession in, the, in your offensive third and then allows to get into the final third very, very quick. How do we explain that versus Iran, these two players, Saka and, and uh, Raheem Sterling, were so dynamic, just so explosive, and they weren't that way versus the United States men's national team? Again, I do think because it's, a, it's the way the whole system works, because they're fullbacks, they can follow all the way because they are not afraid of this, this space here. I'll, thinking that if the three midfielders put pressure on the, the guys that can distribute the ball, because don't forget, Rice, if there is one great quality about him is the, his distribution, but he was always pushing back, and, and, and they didn't allow him to distribute the ball as Iran did. Uh, Prophet. Let's think big picture on Greg Berhalter because you've now had a chance to see him manage two games in a World Cup. How would you describe him as a manager? Is he an aggressive manager? Is he a pragmatic manager? What qualities well, I think would you describe? I think he's quite aggressive. And uh, I think that he takes his chances. And I perfectly understood that watching the way his team plays. And I agree with that type of play, mm. to be honest, yes. Even against I a think, team like England? I think because... At the end of the day, that's your idea of playing football, and then you try to execute it. And if the, the other team gets a goal, at least you are, you will create something. But it would just drop back then, like uh, other teams do. Then you're basically asking your your team for problems, and you are playing to their strengths, to the opposition's strengths. What about mentally? Uh, the fact that Iran beats Wales. And essentially, regardless whether you win or lose, your must-win game is Iran. As a coach, would, does that affect your lineup choice going into England? Or are, you, are you still going with the same idea, same game plan, trying to get a result versus England, regardless of in three, four days it's, it's a different opponent, right? right? I think that um, the subs are quite, uh, or, or the, uh, the f in the roster, there should be 16 players that should be at that same level to play any game. Then you start 17, 18, 19, 20 is a different, mm. different thing. But I would think that he, he has the, 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 the chance to put maybe one or two other guys. But you would have stayed the same against England? I would have stayed the okay. same thing, yes. Uh, as we think about Iran, Prophet, from, from an American perspective, because you've seen Iran twice now as well, What's your biggest worry? Well, I think they're very good in the air and very, they will play direct football. But the difference is who plays here in the middle. Uh, I would prefer a guy that has a good aerial game. Is Adams good enough? Well, I don't know. But I don't think that that's his strengths. But again, what, helping to do that, what helps him to do a very good job is because the other inside midfielders are very physically very athletic and they push they put a lot of pressure on the opposite opposite uh, midfielders uh, coach uh, profit what makes it so difficult because they're young kids so you could say well they could run around for days but their <laughs> athletic presence i mean they're technical on the ball they're fast with the ball Yunus musa can drive with the ball yeah. but what makes yeah. it so difficult when you have that type of midfield the mma midfield is literally what they call it when they're That's so the athletic word that has Thank you. That's the word I was, uh, I was looking for. Both can drive forward, both uh -huh. of them. And that is a big decision for the other team. Who takes him? Let's say he, if he runs with the ball, then somebody has to come. And sometimes it's him or somebody is him, and then you can allow this passing lane here. And uh, the, the Spanish player, Pedri, doesn't do that, but Gavi does. And I think these two inside midfielders are very athletic and very capable of going back and forth. Because don't forget, every time they go, this is 70 meters. So sometimes it's 70 meters and 105 right. to get back and 140 to get back. And not many 
footballers are capable of doing that. One last question for you. You were known for your changes, for your rotations. Greg Berhalter has an opportunity here. He's basically started the same line at two games in a row with the one change up top. The third game in a week. We're in Qatar. It's a huge, as you just pointed out, physical exertion for these midfield players, for all of the players. That is clearly his best 10. He believes that. Do you go with that again against Iran? Or is it now time to dip into rotaciones, no, to changes? I, 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 did, I did say that from the game itself, I will stay the same because base, uh, uh, um, obviously we all watch the game and they play head-to-head -head against England, which is one of, one of the strongest teams in the competition. But again, he could surprise in the starting line. And I don't know the squad that to say who should be playing, right. but I will probably reconsider the middle third. The middle third. Profe, mm. you've already seen Iran these last two games. Yeah. Uh, Greg Berhalter has spoken about profiles of the nine. There's a nine that's more ligero. He's more of a guy that's going to run and clear things with the space, the movement. That would be Jesus Fede. There's a, there's a nine who's more physical, Haji Wright, yeah. uh, who can give you that. And then there's a combination of the two. He's called it a hybrid, which is Josh Sargent. What type of profile of nine would you go for versus Iran? Iran, I would probably go with the hybrid. Really? Because, yes, because these two guys are very good in the air, the two central defenders, but they, they, to follow, let's say, whoever plays here, to follow this all the way, I don't see that happening. So if that this is the scenario, and then he can be here and here, and to try to fix the back, their back four, then you start been three against three and then he becomes four against three numerical advantage in this middle third mm. all right profit great stuff great to have you here breaking down united states against england i guess we got to send you back to football picante <laughs> but you're welcome here on football <laughs> americas my man at any time we all know breakfast is an important part of your day but sometimes when you're traveling for business you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any you know what happens you grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely we've all been there but if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Let's talk Canada, who've been making headlines worldwide. Not for their play, although their play was good. John Herdman after the 1-0 loss against Belgium. Quote, I told the players we belong here. And we're going to go and F Croatia. That's as simple as it gets. That is pretty simple. You know, you'd be shocked. The Croatian manager got wind of this. Oh, Vlatko Dalic. Uh, this is what he had to say. The Canadians must also have respect for us. This way of putting words together is not a sign of respect. We are the 2018 World Cup runners-up. Not Brazil, Spain, or any other country. As you can imagine, the Croatian press is having a field day with this. I'm going to loosely translate here the headline. You have the mouth, but do you have, uh, as Hercules likes to say, los aguacates? All right, Herc, this is definitely shots fired. Which shots are worse and which shots are more impactful ahead of Canada and Croatia? Well, the tabloid shots don't mean maple leaves. <laughs> <laughs> it's a reality. The ones that count yeah. are the head coaches. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if John Herman meant it that way towards the Croatian Oh, he was speaking team. to his own team. 100%. He was talking yeah. to his own team. He yeah. was trying to get them fired up. But he's got to know that's going to land. You have to know mm -hmm. that in today's time, especially when you're talking to the press, they can get wind. And as soon as the tabloid picked it up, the Croatian national team picked it up. Whether it's a good idea to get him angry or not. Is it bulletin board material? It's bulletin board material. Right. They look at Canada as an exotic footballing destination, not a proper footballing country. You don't get that by talking. You get it. It's interesting that you think Croatia disrespects Canada. Clearly here the, the story is Canada not having enough respect for Croatia, at least in terms of language. And that's honestly unfortunate because I don't think that's the way they play. Mm -hmm. That's not the way they conduct themselves. I think it was maybe in the heat of the moment, yep. and it became something bigger than John Herman would have liked. But usually that bulletin board material is Canada's. Yeah. It's theirs. They're the ones. They're the dogs. They're right? the dogs. That are getting disrespected. Nobody believes in them, yeah. Not Croatia. Have they seeded that here, you're saying, a little bit? 
I mean, they're still the underdog, big time against Croatia. Yeah, but I think you can punch Croatia in the mouth. I think Croatia can get hurt mm -hmm. a lot by Canada. Croatia's aching to Belgium in the way that their stars have aged, mm -hmm. in the way that physical, a physical presence in the midfield, a physical presence in transition can hurt them. So they're, honestly, in my eyes, even with Canada right now, the only thing that takes Croatia over the edge is the experience, the quality on the ball. Um, if they can figure out how to bypass that Canadian press that they showed in the Belgian game, mm -hmm. Croatia can really hurt you. But if they don't, it's going to be a long afternoon for Croatia. Yep. Herdman uh, joked that he, his wife wishes he had the body that they used on the, uh, on the tabloid cover. We'll see. We'll see uh, who is more inspired by the trash talk back and forth. Ivan Perisic saying, I cannot wait for the match to begin. Alistair Johnson said he's excited for the extra hype as we take a look at the odds and the SPI for this game. Canada, no matter what the tabloids say, definitely the dogs. Uh, in this one, going up against the reigning World Cup runners-up. More CONCACAF action on the books for tomorrow as well. Costa Rica looking to bounce back from that 7 nothing drubbing against Spain. They're going to have to face off against a very good Japan team that we just saw uh, beat Germany. No surprise there. The Ticos, much, much bigger dogs uh, than even Canada against Croatia. All right, it is time to check the mentions. we got to do it very quick because we have to get out of here. The first tweet comes from Natum's interior decorator. Sebi, how badly are Mexico missing the likes of Chicharito Vela or a healthy Jimenez to provide goals for this team? Yeah, those three are up there. I think Santi Jimenez, I think Diego Linus. There's a lot of pieces that are missing. Tecatito as well. Um, you know, we, I, I'll make kind of finish the point that we were talking about in the, in the opening segment. There are countries that can absorb injuries, that can absorb early retirements, if you want to call that the case with Carlos Vela. Maybe a managerial um, disagreement with a player like a Chicharito because they can just dip back into the well. Mexico is not that now. Mexico has never been that. And unless the exportation practices change, Mexico will never be that. So when you talk about taking five or six of the few Mexican names that are recognizable out of the talent pool... Yes, the level drops badly, and I think it's very obvious they're missing them. Tell me what Mexican striker was playing consistently a week before the tournament started. Santiago Jimenez. That's it. And even that's a little bit of a stretch. I mean, he's not a 90-minute player at his no, club no, no, just no, no, yet. No. But, but he was at least in season. Yes. All right. Healthy. Uh, let's get to our next question here on Check Dimensions as we wrap up. What is this? Day 7 of is the World Cup. First week uh, going by fast. Marvin asks, Esto pasa por tener miedo. This happens for being fearful. Jugando a no perder no es México. Playing not to lose isn't Mexico. You need to put pressure on that Argentina defense and not absorb pressure for that amount of time. Should Mexico have played similarly to Saudi Arabia? Herc, what do you think? You mean play football in a 20-meter space like Saudi Arabia did against Argentina? They played a really high line, and they no. darn near got burned a lot. They didn't, yeah. but they survived yeah. it. Would Mexico have uh, seen I don't a similar think, fate? Yeah, I don't think Mexico would have survived yeah. it. Um, I, that's not in their DNA. You told me in their DNA was to have the ball and to go at teams. That's not what we saw today, but we'd have, you would have much rather have seen that and them fall than see this and then fall. All right. Uh, any more questions here on Check the Mentions? No more. So let's get to uh, some big news that we just found out in the last 24 hours. We've got a couple of new inductees coming for the Soccer Hall of Fame. A couple of your former teammates and a couple of recent guests on Football Americas, Landon Donovan and Demarcus Beasley, will join Lauren Cheney Holiday in this year's class at the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame. And look at that. There's proof that you played together, Her. Yeah. You know, I was born in 1982. You're so uh, old. Same here. 40s. Landon 40s. Donovan and Demarcus Beasley were born. Our generation was actually the first generation of the IMG Academy in Bradenton. Like the very first time they had to, a professional setup mm -hmm. in the United Residency States. Residency camp, yeah. Residency camp in the United States. And when I saw them in the 2002 World Cup, 19, 20 years old, I remember thinking to myself, Man, these kids are just like me. They're my age. My age, my generation, around the same places I grew up. I want to be like them. I want to play in the World Cup. These kids, these guys inspired me to get to a World Cup like they've inspired, inspired millions and millions of other kids and other generations, and they truly are two of the GOATs in American football. Well, congratulations then to uh, Lauren Cheney Holiday, Landon Donovan, and Demarcus Beasley. Yeah, very well deserved. That'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. As always, if you like watching the show, you might like listening to it even more. So download the podcast. We will be back tomorrow with the full reaction to Canada's game, Costa Rica's game as well, plus the latest 
on the brewing beef between Gio Reyna and Greg Berhalter. We'll see you tomorrow on ESPN+.